0: Five a.m. 640. Bill Carroll, how are you? Okay, yeah, we do have Carlos Santana coming up on the show today. Uh, We have the woman who's accusing Bill Cosby of unbelievable sexual and emotional abuse. She's going to join us. That's an hour from now, 11.05. Mark that one down. That should be pretty interesting, and uh, because I I think that story's going to have a lot of buzz by the end of the day, getting a lot of attention, a lot of traction. Please, tell me it's not true. Dr. Huxtable, I don't want to believe that. Do you want to believe that? Uh, Not even a little bit do I want to believe that, but that doesn't mean it's true or not true. What I want to believe is not always what you should believe. The president, if he was listening to this show right now, I'm fairly sure he's not, but if he was listening to this show right now, I'm sure he'd say that uh, I'm acting out of fear because I don't think it's a good idea to be bringing non-citizens to this country to be treated for Ebola. I don't like this idea at all. But I do think I've found a repurpose for Guantanamo Bay. We want to help people. Let's find, let's find, like, no, 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 let's be, let's be loving. And let's be compassionate. Let's be generous. But let's find a little island where we can treat Ebola patients. Let's not bring them to Chicago or Dallas or L.A. Let's not do that. That I don't want to do. But he would say I'm acting out of fear because that's what he's saying about quarantine periods for healthcare workers. That's what he's saying about New Jersey and about New York State when they've been threatening to do that. It's not scientific. You're acting out of fear. It's not about science. It's about human behavior. This nurse, the one who threatened to go to court because she didn't want to be kept in a tent in New Jersey, she's sounding more and more like a piece of work, isn't she? Now she doesn't even want to be home quarantined. She'll make her own decisions about whether she comes or goes because she knows better than everybody else on the planet about when precisely Ebola becomes contagious. I understand that if you're asymptomatic, they don't believe that you can spread it. They don't believe that. The problem is you can walk out the door to go to the grocery store and be asymptomatic, and the symptoms come on while you're in the grocery store. Isn't it possible that since the incubation period is uh, between, what's, what is it, 4 and 21 days? So there's this window. If it comes on and attacks people differently, doesn't that also mean that somebody could be out and healthy one minute, and suddenly they are just raging sick? Throwing up in the grocery store when they went out? It's irresponsible, and that's my point, is that human behavior is what it is, and people are not going to quarantine unless you make them. And then we're going to have to find a way to enforce that. Otherwise, next time uh, we've got a couple of patients with Ebola in this country, more people are going to get sick, that's for sure. And so far, it's only the only uh, cases of Ebola that were contracted in this country were contracted by health workers i know we have the uh, cameraman and we had uh, duncan who got the disease somewhere else and and were treated in this country but that's not the same thing ucla nurses are protesting right now claiming they're not prepared they don't they, they're freaking out they think well if ebola strikes us right now we don't have the ability or the facility to deal with it this is by the way ucla It's not some little hospital out to, I don't know, Midwest U.S. town of 10,000 people. It's UCLA. It's one of the states, one of the country's largest hospitals. And they say they're not ready. And we want to bring other people in? Well, that's what it looks like. A memo that Fox News got its hands on indicates that the Obama administration has at least been thinking about allowing non-American Ebola patients into the U.S. for treatment. But the State Department is saying, well, oh, no, we don't really have that plan. So for the second day in a row, let's go to Josh Ernest, the White House press secretary, and hear him dance on this issue. Yesterday it was green cards. Today it's this. That certainly hasn't happened so far. Uh, I don't know of any plans to do that. But again, we'll take a look at the letter. And uh, it sounds like he sent the letter to DHS and the State Department. So you might. I love that first non answer, don't you? The question is, are you planning to bring non-American Ebola patients to the United States? And he says, well, that certainly hasn't happened so far. We know that. We're not asking you if it's happened so far. We're asking you if you are planning on allowing this to happen. That's the question. Don't Americans have a right to know the answer to that? But first, he's got to just dodge. You know, well, I've given you my sound bite. And it sounds kind of vaguely reassuring, doesn't it? I mean, the tone, that's why these guys get paid this. it's i got to say something without saying anything, and it's got to sound good, even though it's complete BS. That certainly hasn't happened so far. Uh, I don't know of any plans to do that, but again, we'll take a look at the letter. And uh, It sounds like he sent the letter to DHS and the State Department, so you might uh, see if they have a response to his letter. No, so just put it on somebody else. Oh, we're only the White House. It's not like anyone cares about Ebola right now. This is not, this is not a really on our uh, radar. We're not thinking about Ebola. If that's actually being considered, shouldn't the uh, the new Ebola czar, still looking for him, by the way. I was asking about him yesterday. I heard Hoffman on his show this morning, too, asking. The, maybe it was yesterday morning. We've all been asking, where's the Ebola czar? But if this is true, they're considering this. Shouldn't the Ebola czar, the guy's got his hands on every one of these files, shouldn't he know it and might he not mention that to the president? Just, you know, bring it up. I have in my hands a copy of this internal memo that Fox says it has. It's uh, titled Sensitive but Unclassified. Admitting non-U.S. citizens to the United States for treatment of Ebola virus disease. Purpose? Come to an agreed State Department position on the extent to which non-U.S. citizens will be admitted to the United States for treatment of Ebola virus disease. EVD. A, clear, a cleared paper is urgently needed for circulation to the uh, NSC for a policy decision. So it's not saying it's going to happen. It's saying we need to agree on whether or not it's going to happen. The phrase on the extent to which it will happen makes me a little nervous because that almost presupposes some of it's going to happen. Well, there's a difference between somebody shows up in the United States and they have Ebola and knowing they have Ebola and bringing them in for treatment. There's a huge difference here. Okay, so that's still up in the air. Uh, That's the purpose. Recommendation. That state and DHS devise a system for expeditious parole of Ebola-infected non-citizens into the U.S. as long as they are otherwise eligible for medical evacuation from the Ebola-affected countries and for entry into the United States. That is diplomatic mumbo-jumbo if I've ever heard it. So you may not be a citizen, but if you would be eligible if you don't have Ebola, then you can come. It sounds like what they're saying. Issue, it says, the United States needs to show leadership and act as we are asking others to act by admitting certain non-citizens into the country for medical treatment for Ebola virus disease during the Ebola crisis. There it is. There's your answer. How deep did you have to read into that that uh, memo to figure it out? That's what they want. That's their recommendation. We need to do this. We need to show other African nations that they can't turn people with Ebola away if they need help. We have to. Uh, we have to encourage. France, the United Kingdom, the rest of the world to do this, and so we should do it here. Well, I'm not sure we should be encouraging any country to do that. I think we should be urging medical personnel from all over the world to rush to where the Ebola is, help to treat it, and then when they come home, agree to uh, or be forced to be kept in isolation for 21 days, the incubation period. That's what we should be working on. Why would you bring Ebola to hospitals that say like UCLA they're not prepared to handle it and that even the hospitals that thought they were they knew how to handle it it's being spread to healthcare workers doesn't make any sense to me the greatest stated impediment to persuading other countries to send medical teams to the Ebola afflicted countries in West Africa has been the lack of assured medical evacuation and treatment for responders who may be infected with Ebola virus well i'm not saying You have an American doctor or nurse goes to West Africa, gets Ebola, that they shouldn't come back. I'm not saying that. I am saying they should be on an island somewhere with U.S. medical personnel. No, but that's not what we're talking about here. Why do we need to bring non-citizens back to this country to be treated in order to encourage other countries to let their own medical personnel back in? If you're a doctor from the U.K. and you're a citizen of the U.K., of course they should treat you. But they should isolate you. State Department contracted evacuation capacity has so far been sufficient to evacuate all Americans and several other international responders with EVD. Spain and the U.K. and Italy have each evacuated one or two of their own citizens. Of those evacuated, all American citizens have come to the United States for treatment. All others have gone to Europe, where Germany is so far the only country to accept non-citizens with EVD for treatment. Several countries are implicitly or explicitly waiting for medevac assurances for their responders before committing to send medical teams. That kind of hints at the fact that we've maybe allowed some non-citizens to come back into the country to be treated, even though he said this. That certainly hasn't happened so far. Uh, I don't know of any plans to do that. But, again, we'll take a look at the letter. and uh, mm-hmm. It sounds like he sent the
1: letter to DHS. And... Yeah, I
0: think you need to leave, read the letter because their letter does kind of suggest maybe they have. Anyway, all right, let's 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 get off Ebola for a couple of minutes. Uh, that's, that's our terrifying uh, 15 minutes of the day. Now we'll move on to something else. Oh, a dog story. Everybody loves dogs. How about a marine hero dog has its own book? We're going to talk That's about that. a trifecta that. right there. Dog, marine. Dog, hero, hero, marine, hero, yeah. right? Absolutely. We're going to talk to the author of a book, bestseller, about the top dog, story of a marine hero. Oh, Luca. People just love dog stories, don't they? We love animals so much, we put them in the military and risk their lives. We love them so much, we put them in the police department and have them chase the guy with the gun so the people don't get shot. That's how much we love. Rob, what are you working on?
1: I'll-
0: yeah, but when you say we're dying of fear, that's just an expression. People actually die of Ebola. Can't be too cautious as far as I'm concerned. I'll argue with Elizabeth about that one. She comes in later today. KFI AM 640, Bill Carroll. Top Dog is the name of the book, and it's written by a woman who already has a bestseller called Soldier Dog. Maria uh, goodavage I'm guessing is how you say her name, goodavage But I'll ask her in a second because she's about to join us here. Uh, I'm already just, I got the book yesterday, and I started to plow through it last night. I'm already hooked. Uh, and at this time I knew I would be. You know how I, I learned that? I went to see that movie War Horse because my kids thought it would be really cool, and I wanted to see it first to see if it was appropriate for them. It's not. But I went to see War Horse. I'm like, who wants to, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people died in this war. Tell their stories. I don't care about the horse, except that I did. What an awesome movie. I loved it. And these animals, they don't ask to join the military. They just get enlisted. So I I knew I'd be into this. And it's off to a great start. Maria is on the line with me right now to tell the story of a hero marine dog. Hey, Maria.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Did I get your name right?
1: You got it just right. Very well done, Bill. All
0: right. Appreciate that. I get, I get lucky every once in a while. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about dogs in the military. I guess when you think about it, there are dogs in the police. And I've seen some of those old World War II movies, and the Germans would be all running around with the German Shepherds sniffing out spies and stuff. So we kind of know that dogs are used in the military. But how much in the modern world do we still use canines?
1: In the military, yeah. they have been they've been a really large part of the fight in in the last, especially you know in the last decade, because their noses are phenomenal and a really well trained dog and a well tra- and a really great handler a great team is going to find the IEDs that have been killing so many in Iraq and Afghanistan, and so they're a formidable force against these IEDs, which are the number one killer out there and uh, they've been they've been an extremely part, important part of saving lives there are so many people men and women who are back today alive because of these dog teams
0: makes sense that as the enemy no longer comes out to meet you on the battlefields war has changed and so dogs are probably more useful than they've ever been because the enemy is hidden and the weapons are hidden and you need some way to find them
1: Right, exactly, and yeah, we've been. The U.S. has been uh, using dogs in the military officially since World War II, and um in and we had in Vietnam about 4,000 dogs went over, and only 200 came back. Uh, they what? they left them behind, and uh, there are a lot of Vietnam vets, who, dog handlers, who are still very pained today because of of their losses, but. Fortunately we learned from those mistakes and the dogs all come back now. They're very bonded with their handlers and they're you mean they didn't born. come
0: back as in they just left them there?
1: They left them there. They didn't want to leave them there. There were some handlers who re enlisted just so they could have a chance of maybe being with their dog longer and maybe policy would change and they'd be able to bring their dogs home. So what did but, we do with them Oh, We just
0: like let them loose?
1: Yeah. They they let they they gave them to to uh, the, the guys who are staying, the, the the people who are you know not us, and they left them behind. Some were euthanized, and the you know I, I've talked to so many guys who had to leave their dogs there, and they can't even talk about it. They cannot talk about it. They don't even want to go to what happened to their dog because, you know, it's, you know, they, you know, it's just unfathomable to them because their dogs saved their lives. There's, you know, you know how you are with your dog. I am with my dog. Everyone really bonds with their dog. Imagine being over there together, saving lives, having your life depend on this dog. And these dogs, what they do and what they've done throughout our, our military history with them is they'll generally be walking point with the handler. They're, they're leading the way um, now through these mine-infested fields. The IEDs are everywhere. And so they, they're the ones out front walking point, and everyone else is following. And they've had numerous jobs through history, but we, um, now it's been the bomb thing. And, you know, we're, we're pulling out of Afghanistan. Every Camp Leatherneck, the big marine base, gone. The Marines are all gone now. It was transferred on Monday to the Afghans. So we're seeing many fewer dogs out there right now. But um, at the peak, there were about 700 military dogs, U.S. military dogs in in the Middle East. Um, And General Petraeus had a call out for as many dogs as possible because, as he said, there's no greater machine. There's no technology that beats the nose of a
0: good dog we have a fairly new uh, german shepherd white german shepherd rescue and the other night uh, i think we saw a coyote in the backyard you know that crazy dog went to the bunny hutch to protect the bunny from a coyote oh that's wonderful but they're just wow. so they're so intuitively uh, protective and and she rounds if the kids are playing in the backyard with their friends if one of the kids wanders off she goes over and shepherds them and pushes them back in. And if you go for a walk with the family and somebody falls behind, she's always looking over her shoulder. Dogs are great. I love dogs. Uh, I want to I wanna get you to tell the story of this particular top dog, the story of Luca, when we come back. So can you hang in?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Maria Godavich, New York Times bestselling author, the story of marine hero Luca. Now that we have a little background on dogs in the military, we'll get into this one dog's life very specifically coming up. KFI AM 640, Bill Carroll. We're talking to the author of a book called uh, Top Dog, The Story of a Marine Hero, Luca. Find out more about Luca. Don't forget, though, at uh, 11.05, Barbara Bowen joins us. She's the woman who says she was emotionally and sexually abused for years by Bill Cosby. And then at 11.50, Carlos Santana is going to join us. So... This is a good show today. I'm really interested in this book and the story of Luca, so let's get back to Maria. Hi, do Maria. Hey, great. Thanks, Bill. All right. So, uh before I get into the story of Luca, just answer this one tough question for me, will you? you think it's the right yeah. thing to do to use dogs in war?
1: Yeah, that is a really tough question because I'm a I'm a huge dog lover, but I also uh I also like people coming home alive. And the the dogs generally do come back alive, and you know what? They work For fun, it's a game to them. Which you know may be right or may be wrong, but the dogs these days are trained with very positive training methods. It's it's all about getting huge praise from the handler and about um, the reward, which is you know uh, the Kong or the, the tennis ball type of reward. And so, to them, finding bombs or getting the bad guy, it's it's all a game. So they're generally having a really good time. And if if anything. God forbid, happens, they've probably saved a lot of lives. So, yeah, would I want my dog to be in war? No. Um, but I would want my loved ones to come home as well. So it's, it's a really hard ethical question, but I absolutely support the use of these dog teams.
0: Can't argue with you. Well said. Uh, let's talk about Luca K458, as she's known in the military, or Mama Luca, to the people who love her. What kind of dog is Luca?
1: She is a beautiful, very expressive half german shepherd and half belgian malinois so it's i think she got the best of both breeds the belgian malinois are a sort of a more lean lithe, very driven version of german shepherds and so they're really good they're usually smaller but she's a big girl and most people actually think she's a boy for some reason they just call her a him even when people refer to her as mama luca <laughs> Hey, he's cute. How old is he? Or something. So, But she's a, she is a really special breed, and I really, and her eyebrows, is, you, you have the book in front of you probably, uh, yeah. they are so expressive. Her handlers could tell sometimes that there was a bomb, an IED in front of them just by the look in her eyes. How they did she find herself thing. in the military? Well, this she has a really unusual story. She usually the U.S. buys dogs from breeders in Europe, of all places, because they have a very long history of of uh, police dog sports, and they're breeding toward the kind of dogs that are hardy and really great at what they do in canine world. So that's where we generally get the dogs. There is a breeding program in um, Lackland Air Force Base, though that is we have a lot of good dogs coming out of there recently, Malinois. But she was born in the Netherlands. And she was procured by the Israeli Defense Forces, a dog program, specifically for the Marines. They were starting up a, a program for off-leash dogs. It's called Specialized Search Dogs. And we didn't have training. The U.S. didn't have really good training in off-leash use of dogs in war. And so we went to the best of the best. And IDF trained up a bunch of Marines, about four at a time, <clears throat> over in Israel for six months. So they procured Luca from the Netherlands she was she met her main dog handler Gunnery Sergeant Chris Willingham in Israel and she was trained up with him there they came back to the US for much more intensive training before they deployed to Iraq the first time
0: Where in Iraq
1: Everywhere uh, they started in Baghdad and they found their way south into the triangle of death mostly they were they were close to Baghdad the whole time and that's really where most of it was going down and they i think they really made a difference i mean i know this team made a big difference in how many explosives they found in everywhere from cars they they prevented some suicide bombers probably from getting out there lucas nose found so many explosives so many weapons and and chris doesn't like to uh, talk about numbers, but I will tell you that it's it's a lot. And you can't really count the number of lives that a dog saves by the IDs that he or she finds because you don't know how many people would have been hurt by them.
0: But yeah, and not just our military personnel, but innocent people.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The children and the, the, the people living there, they were sure. – uh, really grateful to see these dog teams. Once once they overcame the fear of the dogs, some of them um, were very friendly with the dogs and they, they really seemed to get what was going on and really appreciate the handlers because the handlers would really reach out to them to, to, to have good public relations and show them that these dogs are, are here to help them.
0: So we don't know exactly how many explosive devices or how many lives she saved. Did she ever get hurt?
1: Yeah, she actually went on three combat deployments, two to Iraq and one to Afghanistan. She had two handlers. The, the one when she went to Afghanistan was a different handler who Chris was able to um, hand the leash to him because he really trusted this man with this dog. But uh, on that combat deployment in Afghanistan, she was working with special forces. The Marine Handler and Luca, they're both Marines in my opinion, they were working with Special Forces, and uh, one day in a uh, farm field in Afghanistan, she found an IED and was coming back toward her handler, and an IED found her before she could find it. And um, there was a huge cloud of smoke, the explosion, the handler's worst nightmare to see his best friend you know, just go. You don't know what happened. They were hidden. He heard a yelp, a short yelp, and that was it. He ran toward her because there's such a bomb there. You don't. Sometimes you don't think. He ran toward her. There could have been IED between him and her, but but thankfully there wasn't. And he wanted to scoop her up and take her to a tree line, but it, that he he needed to take care of the bleeding first. And so he put a tourniquet on. And because she would have bled out if he hadn't. And then he got her to the tree line, which is a, safe, a safer place if there's snipers waiting. And the medic, you know, special forces medics are kind of like doctors. So the two of them worked on her and, and got her stabilized. Uh, she got some morphine and she was airlifted out to to Camp Leatherneck and uh, they did some triaging there but they couldn't really give her the care she needed so they had her flown out with the handler at her side the whole time to um, to Kandahar to the, and she ended up getting her surgery at the human military medical hospital in in Kandahar oh really so, so there are um, injured soldiers
0: yeah. all around her and she's got her little IV in her paw and stuff. <laughs>
1: Probably a little more in isolation than that. But, yeah, they, they cleared out. They took her in the back way to to surgery, and she, she had all the MRIs. She had all the tests that that people would get. and um, Treated her they, like a fallen hero, which is what she is. And, and she was, exactly. And, you know, the beauty of this is that she was a fallen hero, and she, um, in the old days, you know, if she couldn't serve again, there was no point in saving her life, but they they did this two-hour surgery with human surgeons and veterinarians, and the staff um, was there the whole time. The, the handler was right at her side. He was so worried about her, and she came out great. They did have to amputate her leg, her front left leg, but um, he the handler, um, Juan Rodriguez, stayed with her for at least two days straight without a break except for the bathroom. He um, he slept in her, her little recovery kennel with her. It's so touching, I have a beautiful photo of that in the book um, itself so people can see that or on my website actually. And um, then within two days of the surgery, she was up and Walking unassisted, she she had graduated from the sling already. This is a dog who has such a spirit of can do. She has she has a resiliency that I'm in such admiration of, and I kind of tried to to live up to that because she just bounced back. And these days, she's going around to to military hospitals and wounded war. She visits wounded warriors, and
0: she. Well, does she live with with one of the soldiers she served with, or who looks after her now?
1: Absolutely. So so what happened after? The, uh, the amputation is that she ended up um, going back to the U.S. eventually, and uh, with the first with a second handler. And there was a, an amazing reunion. Chris Willingham was actually working as a marine in Finland at the time, and they arranged for this reunion. So Juan Rodriguez flew with her over to finland and they uh they he handed the leash over to chris stayed with them with the family chris has a wife and two kids uh stayed with the family for two weeks to make the transition easier for everyone and then he flew back so now luca lives in southern california uh, because uh, chris moved back here and he is she has the most amazing life. She is a very happy retiree. She, is, The military lets people adopt military dogs once their service is done. So, of course, Chris was first in line and he had made it clear to Juan that when her time was done, he was really wanting to adopt her. And Juan got it. He understood. And he's He's a single guy. He was traveling a lot more. So, so this dog is waking up to bacon and eggs on Sunday mornings. and, and she's a single she has-
0: guy We get a, a lot of action with a dog like that.
1: <laughs> true. What happened to your dog? Well,
0: we served together. She's a hero. <laughs> she got blown up in Afghanistan. <laughs> Amazing story, Maria. I have to cut you short because we're, uh, we're out of time here. But I've got a link on our webpage so that people can go and buy your book and uh, read more about Luca. Top Dog, the story of the marine hero. Thanks for sharing it. Really interesting stuff. Thanks, Bill. Maria Godavich, New York Times bestselling author. All right. Uh, she wrote Soldier Dog, and now this one, Top Dog. KFIAM640.com on the Bill Carroll page. And there are some great pictures in there as well. Look at the uh, sergeant carrying Luca on his shoulders. Little, he's smiling in this one, so I assume that's not the time that she was hurt. But All right. Coming up next, does uh, Putin have cancer? And this is how religious people talk? kfi am 640 bill carroll coming up at 1105 barbara bowen you probably heard about her in the news she claims that she was abused emotionally and sexually by bill cosby for years and she's going to talk to us going to join us live on the show coming up at 11.05. And then at 11.50, Carlos Santana is going to talk to us. If I need to tell you who that is, you're not going to listen anyway. But who doesn't know Carlos Santana? How awesome is that? I'm a little bit excited, I have to say, to talk to Carlos Santana. Vladimir Putin, does he have cancer? There's a buzz going around out there that he has cancer. In fact, so much so that uh, they're asking his spokespeople about it. The reports are mostly in the U.S. media, and they say that uh, there's something wrong with him. He may be suffering something pretty serious. He's what, 62 years old? And he loves, he loves to be photographed and videotaped like this tall, tough, strong man, kind of athletic, loves to play ice hockey, puts on the skates, and skates with the national team and stuff so he doesn't doesn't really like that the new york post said they had sources all that he was suffering from pancreatic cancer which is not good right pancreatic is one of the deadliest forms of disease apparently because it doesn't show its symptoms until it's really too late it's so silent if you catch it really early you could maybe do something but you almost never can so that would be bad now they asked his spokesperson about the cancer, and I love this. I love the way he responded. Let me remind you from earlier in the show how the White House press secretary doesn't answer questions but tries to be diplomatic. Is it true we're going to bring non-citizens into this country with Ebola? Are we planning that? That certainly hasn't happened so far. Uh, I don't know of any plans to do that, but again, we'll take a look yeah, at the certainly hasn't happened. That gives you the non-answer, right? No, no. This is what Putin's guy did. He said, uh, why don't you all shut your trap? when they were asking the questions. That's how he handled it. He said, but, you know, is it possible? Well, don't bank on it. These journalists should shut their trap. Everything is okay. I'm going to take that as a no. That is okay. Okay, California, In-N-Out Burger, the uh, Christian who didn't get the kind of service that he wanted and flips out. Grow up! Okay, sounds good. Am I going
1: to get busted? No. Was that worth it? Was that worth somebody coming in here and yelling?
0: Somebody bitching about getting open the door for people? Was it worth
1: somebody coming in here yelling? No. them. It was not worth it, dude. You guys need to the f***
0: off, dude.
1: Seriously. I'm a
0: Christian and who cares about I'm stand up for Christian! Now, in case anyone was gonna to write to me, how do you know he's a Christian? That That's how we know. He keeps telling us that. Between the f bombs. country. The police.
1: And You're being so polite. to to outside. I can never be disrespectful. Straight up, I'm standing for a <laughs>
0: Wow. I think they're going to ask him to speak You're in his uh, neighborhood church on the weekend. I have to tell you, though, I've been in uh, In-N-Out Burger. You know, you order your favorite meal and they give you the little number and you go sit down. You look at the number, number 57, okay, and they go, number three, number three is ready. Are you? And you, you almost lose it, no? Well, it'd be funny, except for this little kid looks t- para- uh, terrified. You have to see the video. Yeah, you yeah, do. It's, it sounds angry, but when you really see this guy, he is losing, and there are kids around. And with everything that goes on today with people and guns, who, you know, I'd be I'd be running out of there.
1: God, you're my God, right in, in my California. God, you're my senior!
0: Am I gonna get busted? So you're gonna get shot, pal. It's what's good. If you have been doing that anywhere other than California, you'd be dead already. Is God your savior? Coming up next, the woman who says that Bill Cosby abused her emotionally and uh sexually for years gonna join us live. Bill Carroll, KFI AM six forty.